You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss using nootropics, biohacking, and nutrition to help you boost your cognition. My name is Eric, and if you are new to the podcast, and I ask you to please take a second and consider subscribing. If you like what you're hearing or you're watching, then head on over to Apple Podcasts and remember to leave the podcast a five-star review. If you're not feeling the podcast, which I highly doubt, but if you're not, then you could skip the whole review thing. But if you're really feeling it, you're like, man, I'm getting some great value out of this, which you no doubt will, then head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave it a five-star review because that helps us grow to a bigger and wider audience. Also, if you are someone who is interested in finding the best quality supplements and nootropic products on the market today, then head on over to holisticnootropics.com and download a copy of my free supplement buying guide. This is a fully comprehensive guide that will walk you through ingredient by ingredient on how to identify good and not good supplements that are being sold on the market today. Because let's face it, there's a lot of junk out there. They're selling a lot of garbage. Supplement companies are taking shortcuts. They're selling sub-optimal stuff, making a lot of money at your expense. So make sure you find out those ingredients to avoid and get yourself the best quality stuff out there. It's a free supplement buying guide. You can get that over at the homepage at holisticnootropics.com. Okay, let's jump into the podcast today with our uh, with our guest, Mike Salemi. Mike specializes in human performance with a diverse background in strength and conditioning. Mike has served as a division one strength and conditioning coach, as well as been the trainer to many elite athletes across a wide range of sports. Mike, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. Excited to be here. Excited to chat. Yeah, this is going to be fun because I love, you know, I I do a lot of these podcasts with like, you know, people talking about some hardcore, you know, mental health stuff and nutrition, you know, sometimes I have people on here, you know, entrepreneurs, it's all interesting, but I love my dirty little secret is I love talking about fitness because, you know, uh, I was telling you just before we got started, like during the pandemic, especially I, I just went head first into optimizing fitness. And, you know, specifically for me as a dude who just turned 40, uh, like I find that maintaining fitness, it's so key, you know, so key to, to keeping my mood stable, to keeping me feeling motivated throughout the day. Um, so any little bits that I can pick up that will help me boost my performance, especially in the weight room or, you know, the circuit or wherever I'm working out or you're working out, uh, I always find valuable. So before we jump into all that, let me uh, ask you, how did you get into this world of fitness and, you know, optimal human health performance? Fitness specifically, I mean, I've been doing some form of fitness and competitive sports basically my whole life. I mean, I started, I think it was approximately seven years old as a gymnast. My brother was a gymnast since five. And so, you know, I I dove, I I would say as deep as I could at that time until I was almost 14 and 15 until I injured my lower back. And so gymnastics for me was the foundation of my movement vocabulary. Like that's what gave me the base. And I really attribute how I move today. So much of it to my gymnastics training. Like if people check out my Instagram or anything like that, they'll see me using a bunch of unconventional tools, whether it's the soupless ball or the Bulgarian bag or the kettlebell or Hertz bands. And all of those tools require very good, like a very finely tuned nervous system. 
and gymnastics is really what was my base. But then from gymnastics, I competed for about 10 years in competitive powerlifting at an elite level, did Olympic weightlifting in college, and then about 10 years of competitive kettlebell sport. So my whole life has really been surrounded by athletics. And I always say like my journey first started as an athlete that gave me the actual life experience, overcoming injuries, wins, losses, uh, elite competitions to low level competitions. And then truly the desire to want to share that with all people, whether it's athletes or non-athletes, but my, my passion for this stuff started super young as, as literally just in the gymnastics gym. That's so cool. So what is that you've noticed the through line of how to be successful because you have such a wide range of, uh, of fitness related skills, you know, gymnastics, kettlebells, um, powerlifting. Um, what do you find is like, kind of like the common denominator of how to be successful in those, you know, is, is there a through line? Is there something kind of brings all those together? Absolutely. At least how I view it today, which is very different than maybe how I viewed it 15 years ago. And here's what I think. What I've learned is the body needs so much more than sets, than reps, than tempos, than loads, all the things that we as coaches obsess about and get so dialed in. There's a big place for that. But if we truly want long-term health and performance, we truly want longevity in our body, the ability to train, What you don't even have to be a competitive athlete, the ability to perform at a high level for years on end, then you have to look outside of the box and you have to consider the other elements that make up a healthy body. You have to look at breathing. You have to look at your mental state. You have to look at your nutrition. You have to look at your sleep. You have to look at all these other corresponding elements because if all you do is look at a program design sheet and think that that is going to be the Holy grail. I guarantee you that will fall short at some time because the body is not a machine. The body is absolutely not a machine. The body is an organic organism. It changes. And just simply being under mental or emotional stress will absolutely have an impact on your training. And that is something that so many people forget or completely disregard that if you're under relationship stress, if you're under work stress, all of those things impact your level of performance. The big question is, is are you aware of it? So for me, the through line is this concept of intentional training having a specific intent and also creating the awareness. So, you know, exactly what's happening in your body as opposed to following some super rigid plan that someone else wrote for you, um, which they're not you, nobody knows you as well as you know you. So that would, I would say be the through line of really what it takes to reach long-term high performance. And that probably applies too to this idea that a lot of people tell you is like, oh, just find the guy in the gym or the girl in the gym that you want to look like and then see what they're doing <laughs> and then just do what they're doing. And you don't know anything about that person. You don't know, I mean, physically, like what injuries they're dealing with, what stress they're dealing with emotionally. Maybe they are going through such a hard time. Maybe they're like at the peak of their performance. Maybe it's like, and you're coming from this place where you're like, I'm new to the gym. I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I barely understand like the difference between like a bench squat and like an incline or a bench press and an incline press. And, you know, and you don't even know why you're doing those things. You don't know why you're like doing compound presses versus like doing more, um, you know, like kind of more flexibility centered things. So, um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about like what you mean specifically by, or going to some examples of like what intentional training entails. 
Yeah, it's a great question. Well, even when you were speaking, there's some thought came up. Like, I think especially it depends who you are, where you are in your journey, what your body's saying, what your goals are, what's the desired training effect. These are all questions. Like, I love what you said. I think the ability, the, the, being curious is a super, super valuable trait that any of us can do or can have. Now, if you have zero fitness experience and you are as green as can be, let's just even say you're like a high school athlete just getting in the gym, then yeah, it's, I mean, at any level, it's important to have models, right? We want to basically, a model shows us what is possible. It's our inspiration. And I would say that any plan is for sure going to be better than no plan. But the big trap that people fall into is they follow a program blindly, Right. I'm not saying don't follow a program because it's great to have that structure. But then the intentional part especially comes into, are you looking at some of the subtle factors? Like I mentioned earlier. So let's just take sleep, for example. So if you're and, and there's so much technology out there, biohacking stuff like, you know, whether you wear a whoop or an aura ring, those can be great. I've used a lot of those for years. And I also um, I like also being able to tune into more subtly, and this takes practice to actually knowing how I'm actually feeling without the need of any device. I think it's it's great to have both, but the problem becomes when you over rely on one. Like I know people that if they if they forget their whoop or they forget their aura ring, literally a stress response gets created in the body, and they're like, I don't know who I am without this device. And I think it's important. There's ways to do it. Maybe taking it off on the weekends or taking it off a few times and really just seeing, can you tell when you're out of whack and how does that show up in relation to the aura ring or the whoop or whatever device you're using? Now, that being said, if you had a low, like if you had a super shitty night of sleep and you woke up and you knew that like, wow, I'm really dragging. One of the most important things that I would do, the first thing that I would do in any training program, if I woke up feeling just genuinely tired, not like I'm a little bit tired, but like genuinely like honest conversation with myself. I'm genuinely tired. I do not think that I can go in the gym and exceed what I did the last time I was in there by at least one to 3%. That was uh, something that one of my coaches, Paul check had always shared with me. And every time I would go in the gym, that was my objective. So if I was tired and genuinely tired, I would reduce training volume. Now, how much I reduce training volume is, is a kind of not another conversation, but it might be a little bit deeper, but I would like cut my sets down 50%. Okay. If I was absolutely exhausted because I was up till 3am, that's my day to rest and back off. And so the intentional training, yes, comes into understanding why you're doing what you're doing, but also once again, being able, willing to look at all the other aspects that are affecting your training and modifying it as you go. I love the, I wear the aura ring and you, for a while, I mean, I really, it's, it's legitimately changed my life. I have to say, and I don't just mean that like in a, like a hyperbolic sense where it's like, Oh my God, it's so good. It changed my life. Like it literally changed my life because <laughs> I've changed like my bedtime. I've changed the time I eat dinner. I changed like how often I drink alcohol. I changed smoking weed. I changed like so many things. And like, let's say for the better. Right. Um, but there is that thing of 
relying on it too much to allow it to dictate my day, specifically on the readiness score. And I was having this conversation with this guy, Don Moxley, who uh, he runs Longevity Labs, a spermidine company, and he's, he's an experienced um, division one uh, wrestling coach and, you know, performance coach. And, you know, he, he says, you know, his kids, when he was in school or when he was coaching, he had them all wear aura rings and they, he, he really credits that to helping them win like national championships because it helped them dictate their training. But he also made this point where he said, you know, sometimes you go to the, you, you wake up and your, your readiness is really low. And a lot of people say, well, I can't train on that day or I need to train light. And he goes, no, 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 that's actually a good time to push it because that's going to help your adaptive stress response system. And, you know, today, for example, I woke up and, uh, you know, I got a new baby and had an issue in the morning and my sleep was just in the tank. And my readiness score was like in the fifties. Normally I, I'm between like 70 and 80 and I can function fairly well, but in the fifties, I feel like, oh my God, like I can feel that. And maybe if I was so reliant on that data to, to tell me whether to go to the gym or not, I might, might've skipped the gym, but I also know that I didn't go to the gym yesterday and the gym just makes me feel better. It helps me feel like it just gets me up. It gets me going, gets the heart rate going, gets the test, all that stuff. Right. So I did, I went to the gym today and actually, yeah, my performance was a little bit less than what it was, but I still felt good about pushing it and allow that to dictate my flow versus like, well, the aura ring says I'm not ready for action. So maybe I should, you know, listen to what aura says. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense, man. And I, and I think too, like, it depends on like, what's your norm. So if, I mean, let's just use that readiness score, but if it was like 30% every single day for a week, like I totally hear what, what this gentleman's saying about it, it gives you an opportunity for that adaptive response. And like, you can actually dig deeper and create new, these new changes, new adaptations. But I think the problem becomes if someone is continually in that state and that becomes their norm. And also to most people, like the body is definitely stronger than we give it credit to as a whole, for sure. The body's a fucking beast, right? But that being said, most people have so many different stressors that they're dealing with from eating crap food. Like the vast majority of the population today is eating horrible food. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the population today is like poor sleep. And I, and I, and so there's so much things. So when it becomes the new norm, we just have to be careful that like, again, it actually is the, the big thing is, is like in, you know, are you actually long-term, are you making gains? Right. Like, are you actually seeing the improvements that you want? Then, you know, long term, like it is producing that therapeutic benefit. So it becomes like I, I, you just have to like just pay attention. That's like at the end of the day is paying attention. But I totally hear you like being over reliant on anything like any time in my life that I feel like something is controlling me, whether it's a substance like I know, like I love tobacco, tobacco and me. We have a good relationship. I really enjoy it. I like vaporizing it. Um, so, but I also know when it, it's, it's, it's actually not serving me. Right. And there's certain things, the same thing with weed. Like there's a certain point where like all this stuff, everything is like medicine. That's mm -hmm. how we have to look at it. And so just like anything could be a positive stressor, it can also be a negative stressor. And that line sometimes is really fine, especially if we're attached to it. And it could be the aura ring or it could be anything else. But all of these things are super valuable because they bring these new things. They, they illuminate blind spots in our life. And that's why they can be such important teachers. Um, so I hear you, brother.
Yeah. And, and it's such a good point where it's like looking at the day versus the overall trend, you know, mm. like the long-term trend. So yeah, the day wasn't great, but the overall trend is pretty steady. Right. But you know, like I remember when I was doing CrossFit and you know, you go to CrossFit and it's just so funny, like you walk into CrossFit and yeah, there's some like elite athletes in the CrossFit gym. And then there's those people who are just like, they always have the bags under their eyes. They're always sucking down like three or four coffees or energy drinks because you're going so hard at that and you're not getting the recovery. And you're like, I'm gonna do CrossFit. I'm gonna do, you know, high intensity five times a week. And it's like, <laughs> when you're, when you have an office job, you know, or you're like, you're, you, you know, you're, you're not active normally. It's like, that can, that can be pretty destructive. You know, this, this whole idea of overtraining. Well, you said something earlier that I totally, totally jive with. Like, I do believe it's absolutely critical to move every day. Absolutely critical. Like what's the difference between a live person and a dead person movement. That's the big difference. Life is movement. And so it is absolutely important to move every day. Like you said, when you get in the gym, it lifts you up for me when it's like a day that I know, like, I don't really want to push it today. I go for a walk. Walking for me, like if you look at elderly people all over the world, like the healthiest people in the world, what's the one thing that they all have in common that anybody can do? That's an amazing active meditation. It's walking. Uh, and again, that could be whatever it looks like for you, but movement as a whole, I truly do believe people should be moving every single day for at least 30 minutes. And what that looks like can be dependent on where you're at and what you really love to do. Yeah. People really underestimate the power of walking, you know, like you can really, I mean, yeah, you're not, you're not, you might not be sweating, you know, you might not be like, uh, getting you know, hypertrophy or anything like that, but you know, just, uh, I was talking to this dude, um, Lucas Owen, who, uh, he's got a, you know, he's a nootropics guy. And he mentioned this study that I was so interesting, um, walking within 20 minutes after a meal actually outperforms metformin in glycemic control, blood sugar, glycemic control. Um, and so, yeah, if you have a meal, like the best thing you can do is go walk afterwards, you know, and then, you know, you start controlling your blood sugar I mean, that just has a whole cascade effects from, from weight management, all the way down to hormones, all the way down to stress response, all the way down to how you sleep their next day. Um, so yeah, so sometimes we, we really try to overdo and overthink this whole fitness thing, but really it's like, like you said, just get out and move, do a little yoga. You know, I like to hang from a bar, you know, do these little things that, that they stack up throughout the day and they break up your day. They get you like out of this kind of monotonous haze where, yeah, there are all those times where you feel like, oh man, it's two o'clock. I'm going to go smoke some weed, you know, or I'm going to have a drink or I'm going to have a cigarette. And maybe you just need to go take a walk and just allow that kind of movement just to kind of let your brain reset, look out, look at some things, observe the outside, hear a bird sing, look at a tree, whatever it is, um, just to kind of reset your mind and get you back into that focused state. Have you heard of uh, the concept or the word before called working in by chance? Working in. No, explain that to me. So working in, I think it was first coined by my mentor, a guy named Paul Check. Fascinating guy. If anyone's never heard of him before, definitely check him out. He's just a wealth of knowledge, been in the game for over 30 years, basically pioneered the functional training movement in, in, in the world. He was the guy responsible for bringing Swiss balls like 30 years ago from the rehab realm into the sports realm. All that to say is working in was a concept that he really utilized me when I was injured and no one could figure out what the F was going on with my body. Rehab me then took me into winning a world championship. 
And so with the concept of working in, so we're all familiar with working out, right? Working out is any type of energy expenditure. Working out is anything that expends more energy and resources than it actually brings in. Working in is the exact opposite. So working in is an energy cultivating activity. Working in is something that actually brings in more resources into the body, more life force, more chi, more prana than it actually expends. Now there's, depending how you look at it, there's four to five criteria to let you know if you're working in or working out. Okay. So take any activity you want. We just talked about walking, which for me is my favorite working in activity. Okay. So, you know, let's just say you're working out. Okay. These are some key indicators. If any of these are happening, you're heading into more of a working out zone. One, if you sweat. Two, if your tongue starts drying out. Three, if your heart rate increases, it also works hand in hand with your respiratory rate. So if your respiratory rate increases above baseline, and then the last thing is if your digestion on a working in exercise, your digestion improves working out digestion starts slowing down. So what happens is, is basically sending in you one or two states, more sympathetic or more parasympathetic. So any exercise that, or any exercise, anything can be a working in exercise. And this is how even I've taken some of the biggest, and, and I was a meathead, but like some of the greatest, the biggest meatheads in the gym. And you can take something very simple. For me, it was a body weight squat, an exercise that I was familiar with, right? That wasn't intimidating. This was my introduction to meditation and mindfulness. So I was using a body weight squat, but done via the parameters that I just gave here. I was going slow and I could not sweat. My heart rate couldn't increase. My respiratory rate couldn't increase. My digestion had to improve and my tongue had to stay moist. As I would do that for anywhere from five to 20 minutes of breathing squats, all of a sudden I started feeling a charge of energy, started feeling way more mentally alert, way more grounded, way more in my body. And so you can utilize walking as an example that anybody can do to help cultivate energy. That's one thing that you just said perfectly is when you eat a full meal, let's say we go to a big dinner uh, with our family or our friends, what happens when we park far away and we actually walk to the car? By the time we get to the car, we usually feel like, wow, I feel lighter. I feel like digest, like I just feel, I just feel better. Like I just digested my food. That's because the walking is a working in activity. And this is also an example of on an off day, on a recovery day, this can be an amazing, amazing, simple modality. Keep it simple. I just said body weight squats. If you do that and you apply the five criteria that I just said, and you do working in one, you're training a squat pattern, which is a great pattern to train that we all can use, but two, you're building in work capacity, building in volume and doing so in a way that's actually going to be supportive to your life and help balance out the working out that you're doing. Cause it's like the yin, the yang, it's the two sides of the coin. Yeah. And, and we really, again, we, we really underestimate the, the importance of recovery time, you know, allowing the parasympathetic to take charge and allow your body to, to, to make the hormones, right. Cause your body can't make, you know, testosterone or estrogen, you know, or DHEA or any of these things, unless you, get rid of cortisol, unless you lower, you know, the cortisol and the norepinephrine. Um, and then, you know, when you, when you got those hormones going growth hormone, right. This is going to help your recovery. Like, I feel like sometimes, man, like I'll go like three days, three or four days without working out. And I'll just look in the mirror and I'll feel more ripped, you know, it, it <laughs> yeah. just, it Isn't just that feels, amazing. Yeah. It's just funny how that works. You know, it's like, it's like, damn, I just feel like you didn't do anything. You just feel more ripped. Right. And then you feel like supercharged to get to the gym, you know, that follow that next time. Absolutely. And if anything, just mentally, like, 
you're hungry, like to get after it. And like how much, this is why I'm such a big, like proponent of like the approach in any lift. Like when the bar's in front of me on the ground, like I'm literally like ready to bite its fucking head off. And that's like the mindset that I approach every single lift, like with intent, with focus, I'll always have a routine. I step left foot, I step right foot, I grab, I grab, set my lats, let's say on a kettlebell swing and I go. And that hungriness is so important. And if you constantly are feeling stale, I mean, it's just like, you're going through the motion. And I think that's one of like, for me, like the worst feelings in life is to feel stuck and to feel stagnant. Like I want to feel hungry with everything. And it's not always the case. doesn't always happen, but as much as possible, that's the vibe that I want to be is that hungry, excited, motivated and inspiring type of guy. That's great. I love that. I love that because it's like when you, when you have that, when you have that intensity in the gym, you have that intensity in life. And, you know, it's like, if you're bored in the gym, then you're probably bored in life. If, if you're <laughs> yeah. feeling like oh, I got to go to the gym today, then it's like, well, maybe you need to work on other stuff first um, before, you know, not to say it's like, you shouldn't go to the gym, maybe go to the gym and you I, I just stretch or something. But, uh, but I find it's like, you can really gauge how you feel, like how you're going to approach your day by like that first hour in the morning by, you know, like, are you dragging ass or are you like, just knocking out a morning routine. You're like, I'm drinking water. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing whatever, right? Like I'm doing some stretches. I'm, you know, going for a walk, whatever people do, I'm making a cup of coffee and you're doing it with like purpose and intent. And you're like, I'm doing this because the next hour of my day, I'm going to kick ass at this project. Or I'm going to kick ass at this job or I'm going to go walk dogs or whatever you got to do, right? You're going to go, you're going to go crush it. And then every hour just builds on that. And then by the time it's time to go to the gym, you're like, Yes, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to go bench press. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to hit a PR in squat, or I'm just going to do 10 reps of the most reps I've ever done of the heaviest weight I've ever done in squats or whatever it is. It's like, you have to bring that to each. It's like how I think about this a lot now, like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And if you do one thing half-ass, you're going to do everything half-ass. If you do one thing, super motivated and you have to dig that motivation, I find you can't just, you can't just wait for it. Like, all right, when am I going to feel motivated? It's like, you have to really like call for that motherfucker. And then, yeah. And then that's when you're going to start really seeing the progress in the gym. Absolutely, man. What I heard you, like how I experienced what you shared is like, you're building momentum. You mm -hmm. know, that momentum is so helpful. I know the hardest thing to get started is just to get started. And that's why, like what you're saying, like sometimes you need to be as, as one of my mentors would say, you need to be like Mick in the gym. You need to be someone like you need to kick your own ass to get yourself out of bed. But if you do that, you will have so much more respect for yourself. And you know, like once you just get that first thing done, you drink that water man, it's so much easier to, uh, use the, you know, do an evacuation in the bathroom that helps that you have a little breakfast and you're riding these, you're creating habits and momentum. And it's just so much easier to roll, but you do need to kick your own ass sometimes in the morning to get that momentum started. So with working out, um, you know, like some, some different fitness routines, um, you know, I'd love to like talk a little bit about, you know, things like something like high intensity interval training. Like you hear a lot about that, um, you know, versus kind of like slower strength training, like who would be an ideal candidate for each one of those, you know, like, like, who, like what, if somebody's sitting there and like, I want to start going to the gym or they're already going to the gym and they're kind of sick of their workout and they're like, I want to explore, something different. Like why would somebody do something like a hit workout versus like, you know, kind of a longer, more drawn out, you know, strength training routine? Yeah, it's a great question. So, uh, there's a few questions that come up in my mind, and this might be helpful for the audience to just go through a few curious checklists and this will help you navigate maybe which one to start with. So, um, 
you know, any program that you're going to do, you said something perfectly, like in a, let's just say a strength-based program or a mass building program, typically the time duration is going to be longer. Why? Because it's going to take longer for the nervous system. If you actually want a strength training effect, like you want to increase your, you just want to, whether you want to increase your one rep max, or you just simply want to push more weight that does fatigue the nervous system more, and you need to allow it to fully recover. Very different than high intensity interval training, which is more, I would say muscular endurance focus. So you can recover in shorter bouts of time. So if you want to get stronger, I think depends where you start. If you haven't been doing any program, this is why like novice athletes are great to work with or kids because I could throw anything at them and they would improve. This is why like in the beginning, when anyone starts a fitness program, like the gains are like, I don't even know, like just straight damn vertical. But then the more years that you do, like when I was competing in powerlifting at a high level, like literally if I gained five pounds in one year on a lift, I was like, that's a great year. Let's go. But when I was starting, I was making 50 to 75 pound jumps. So what I would say is one of the most important things, especially for making this a practical recommendation or advice one of the biggest things that people need to consider is the time component of their training. You need to consider your finances. If you're going to need to hire a coach, if you're going to need to start a gym, you're going to need to consider what time do you have available? How many times a week do you have to train? What equipment do you have access to? You've got to consider your own energy. How much vitality do you have to do that program? So those are just a few basic questions that I was consider because if realistically you're on a lunch break and you've got an hour to be in out between getting to the gym, getting back, showering and working out, out, then I would probably say from a time efficiency standpoint, because the best exercise you can do is the one you'll do consistently and regularly. I would probably say from that perspective, interval training, you get a lot of work done in a short amount of time. You get a cardio effect. You'll get a strength training effect. Unless you want to be elite in something uh, like a very specialized power lifter, interval training is going to be great for most people, maybe not all the time, uh, so I would consider that just because the, to have a real solid strength training program, I mean, I mean, in general, between warm up, cool down training, that sort of stuff. I mean, at least an hour, even like 75, 90 minutes is a good time frame for a strength training program. Other things though, that I would say is strength is the foundation for basically damn near every like every ability that we want to have, like strength is such a foundational element. So if someone hasn't done really any strength training, I love, or any fitness training in general, I love taking them through a base phase, focus on simple lifts, focused on squatting. Okay. That's a huge pattern. Focus on lunging, focus on just classic presses. I really don't care what you do. Get on the dumbbell bench press, get whatever it is, but pressing some type of pulling, rowing, do some type of walking, jogging, sprinting, uh, and then something with rotation. If you're hitting those throughout the week, then you're actually really balancing your body in a well-rounded program. So again, it depends on some of those factors to see what is realistic for you, what is practical for you. Both of those have tremendous benefits. Interval training is going to be more fitness, strength, maybe some toning, et cetera. Strength training is going to be longer sessions, typically heavier weights, uh, could be simpler lifts. Doesn't have to be, but longer training sessions to allow the nervous system to recover. 
And if you're doing something like a, like a strength training workout, like I, I always just think of like working at like, like a strength training workout, like, okay, back and buys or <laughs> like, you know, chest and tries or today's leg day or whatever. And, you know, there's like that classic idea of like, you can only work everything once throughout the week. And then, you know, I've heard like, no, no, no you actually want to work things multiple times throughout the week. And then, you know, I've heard this kind of like thing where it's like, well, you want to wait longer between sets. It, is there value like in um, like, let's say you do have like an hour to do all that stuff in the gym. And then that kind of like shortens your time to working out to really like 40, 45 minutes. Is there value to just doing one exercise, but just doing as much of that exercise? Like, let's say you just like, you're going to go into the gym 45 minutes and you only do squats or you only do bench press or you only do like whatever. Is there value in that? Absolutely. Like, I think, I mean, there's so much, like, I don't want to oversimplify it because truly the human body is like the human body is absolutely incredibly complex. And I think that, um, we can approach this from a simple way, but there's also a lot of complexity in it. So is there value? Absolutely. To give you an example on that, um, for the, those in the audience might be familiar with a gym. If you're into weightlifting or a geek or anything like that, uh, with a gym called Westside Barbell, Westside Barbell is in Columbus, Ohio. It's a gym run by Louis Simmons. There's a Netflix documentary on him. The dude's insane. I think hands down, like the strongest gym in the world in history. Like there's no comparison, thousand pound squatters, 800 pound bench pressers, 800 pound deadlifters and beyond 900 pound deadlifters. So when I was 18, I had trained out there and modeled so much of my powerlifting training around the principles of really what he developed. And he utilized a Soviet system called the conjugate method, uh, without getting too much into that, just to give you an example, one of his lifters, if I recall correctly, and we're talking like 18 years ago, but a guy named JM Blakely literally only trained one day a week, one day a week, and was well over a 700 pound bench presser. And it's so much less about like, it's so much more about the quality of how you train, even if it's much less, because even to this day, most of my training never includes more than five exercises, usually three, the first one being the most important. So if someone were just to do, I mean, a very health, like a, a complex movement, like a squat, which is a, or a lunge, for example, great. Generally it's a leg driven movement, but it's a total body movement as well. If someone were just to focus on one exercise, do it very well with good technique and really focusing on the details of the movement, there's tremendous benefit and it's way better than nothing. And you can get a lot of gains, especially if you know how to program for that. So, uh, I would still definitely want to round it out a little bit more to bring up some weak points and fill in some gaps in it. But shit, if you just focused on one lift, you would definitely see some improvement for sure. If you did it well and focused on it. Yeah. Cause I have this very, like, uh, the same mindset that I've had since I was lifting in high school for football, which is like getting to the gym, you have an hour and you're going to do, yeah. Like maybe three to five, uh, movements. Like, you know, if it's a chest and tries day, you're going to go do a bench press, like maybe some flies or something. And then like some, you know, uh, tricep pull downs. Maybe if you have some time, like, uh, you like diamond push-ups or something like that. Um, you know, but I, I am like interested in these kind of like alternative way, like, like programming methods that are like, Hey, we're going to do an hour and it's only going to do squat. It's only going to be squats. And we're going to take like five minutes between sets or something, or, you know, we're going to start with like that whole thing where it's like 12, 10, eight, six, four, and then, or, 
you know, so it's like, it's like interesting to see like how people kind of work around that program and the results they get. Sure. And this is also where I really do think like we were talking before the call about you doing kettlebells. Like this is also where you could take a tool like a kettlebell, right? A very versatile tool, a very portable tool, a tool that like one of the unique things about kettlebell training specifically is, you know, every, I don't think that any tool is necessarily like no tools, right, wrong, or better or worse. It just depends on what you really want to achieve. The barbell specifically is amazing, amazing for developing strength strength and power specifically. Why? Because you can incrementally load it. You can load the bar heavier. You don't have a, I, I have seen 200 pound or like 170 pound kettlebells, but it's most gyms ain't going to have that. Most people ain't going to have that. So the barbell is great for one rep maximum strength, right? The dumbbell specifically is it's kind of in between a kettlebell and a barbell. You can do unilateral training. You can bring up weak points. Um, it's going to, there's going to be a little bit more freedom in the movement, but the dumbbell is basically an extension of your hand, which is how you use it. If you compare it to a kettlebell, you have a handle with an offset center of mass. And what that means to me is when you're lifting, you're basically dealing with a live object, your nervous system. And we're talking about making the nervous system smart. That's the computer system that runs the show. So when you're working with a kettlebell, it's one of the only tools that you can very efficiently do things like train, like strength and part of you at the same time, train to be stronger and flexible at the same time. You can hit a tremendous amount of athletic abilities in a very short amount of time. So if you take, for example, like the kettlebell swing and the Turkish getup, those two movements work hand in hand and all those movement patterns that I said earlier about squatting, lunging, bending, twisting, pushing, pulling, rotating, gait, all that stuff with the Turkish getup, you've got like five of those patterns in one. You're going to develop a lot of strength. That's also going to help you have a functional carryover into so many different activities in life. Nothing against the barbell squat. I love the barbell squat, but my intention for doing it is going to be slightly different. So if I had a short amount of time and I did a little warm up, swings and get ups, obviously it does take some technical skill to do it well and get what we're trying to get out of it. But provided someone can develop that skill in it, those two movements and a cool down, holy shit, dude, in 30 minutes, you're in out the door and you've got a tremendous strength, flexibility, cardio workout, explosiveness workout, and it will transfer into so many things that you do on a day-to-day basis. The Turkish get up, I haven't, I haven't gotten into yet because I just don't know how to do it. Like I've never really been, I feel like that's the thing I need to be coached on how to do well. Cause uh, you know, you can, you could like the, the, I, I got a kettlebell uh, during the pandemic and I was like, I'm just gonna do kettlebell swings. And I used to go to this CrossFit gym and they'd be like, do the kettlebell swing all the way, like the American one. And then the Russian one. And I'm like, I'm no <laughs> bitch ass Russian. I'm the American. So I'm like doing this. And then like, I pulled up several YouTube videos about like kettlebell swings and they're like, never do this. This is like such a useless move, but they're like, do the, you know, do the, um, the, whatever they call it, the Russian or whatever. And they were showing a couple of videos of like, and it was pretty consistent where they're like, it's just a quick little thing here. And ever since I've been doing those, man. I don't know what it is. I can't explain the physiology behind it, but I just feel like my body is stronger. I have more energy. Like I feel like I'm getting way more muscle tone than I was ever getting with even just like the barbells, let alone like doing the American, you know, meathead kettlebell swing. So, um, I, yeah, I just, the, the kettlebells are so interesting to me because I just have no idea how they work, but they seem to be so effective. Dude, I'm so happy you shared that because I remember when I was first using kettlebells, like when I was 15 years old and I was using them for powerlifting 
And I had a very similar experience. I'll never forget it. Cause that's when I first got into it. I was like, I don't know what the F's going on, but I just fucking feel strong. And I feel like relaxed and ready, relaxed and ready. Like I can go and I just felt more athletic. And that's really like, I would say today I'm nowhere near as strong as I used to be when I was powerlifting. Cause that's all I did. Squat, bench, deadlift, one rep max. How much can I do now? I don't train those lifts like I used to, but I'm infinitely more athletic. I'm strong. I'm I'm strong enough and I'm probably in maybe not the best shape when I was competing at a high level in kettlebell sport, but I'm way more athletic. Like I feel super resilient. And so with like those movements, you're absolutely right. Like they do take some coaching and they do take a level of technical skill, but once someone learns that, but even if someone honestly just did a body weight, get up. Okay. One of the, one of the fun things that we do when I teach workshops and seminars, and I know a lot of people do it. It's it's a fun thing to do, but if you just took like your shoe, extend your arm, make a fist, balance your shoe, or if you want to take it a step up, you can just take a water bottle. Okay. You could either put it on its side, half fill it with water or stand it up. Now try to do a Turkish get up body weight. And I always say, I mean, you should at least, at least, at least lay down a hundred reps left and right approximately before you even remotely think about loading the movement like remotely, like mm. you need to understand what the positions are, strength, control, feel very familiar, open up the hips, open up the shoulders. So if someone did a hundred Turkish getups left and right, balancing a half full water bottle on their fist, and you can, I've got a ton of free videos on YouTube. Just type in my name, Mike Salemi, Turkish getup. Uh, I've got a very, like, I think I did it for mind pump media. Um, it's like an over 10 minute breakdown of it. I've got a few videos elsewhere that are all free. And even on the swing, common errors, what to look for, how to set up for it, because these movements, they're great movements. But in my opinion, even the kettlebell swing, right? The kettlebell swing is probably the most iconic of all kettlebell movements. I would imagine when someone thinks of a, the kettlebell, they either think of the swing or the Turkish getup. Uh, great movements, but even the kettlebell swing for me, it's not necessarily a beginner movement. It's a power-based movement. Specifically, it's a repetitive power-based movement. So there is some fundamentals that if someone wanted to do it safely, you'd want to knock out said simply the deadlift. The deadlift is a movement that has the direct carryover into the swing. It involves a hinge-based movement. It teaches you how to maintain your spine so you don't injure your spine, how to integrate your core. If someone could execute a deadlift very well that and maintain their spine. That lets me know they're basically ready to start heading into the swing. So there's some great tutorials. Anyone who's listening, go online, type in my name, swing, what Mike Slemmy swing, you'll get some great instructional, but they're, they are phenomenal movements. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to actually check that out. Um, and I'm going to make sure I link to that in the description and everything, because, um, yeah, it, it's these, these kettlebell things. I, I've gotten so into the kettlebells that I'm like, man, I just want to like learn more kettlebell movements and just start replacing nice. a lot of my workout with, because again, like during the pandemic, I just had to like make things super simple. It was like, I lost the gym. I got a gym now. It's not very good. It's like the dumbbells go up to like 45 pounds or whatever. Um, and then there's like some machines and whatever, but I, I have a 50 pound kettlebell. I think it's 25 kgs. And it's like, this is, I just want to work with this thing. And I just want to like learn how to do more with it. Um, with longevity, you know, I hear someone like Peter Atia talking a lot about, you know, longevity and certain movements, uh, grip strength is one he's, I think he had a video when he was on Rogan about talking about hanging from the bar. And I love hanging from the bar and he does that for grip strength. In your opinion, what are some great 
uh, movements for like the older crowd, the people in their forties, fifties who want to get those muscles trained for longevity. Specifically with kettlebells or just in, in general, anything, anything, but yeah, if, if kettlebells or, or anything in general, even if it's like body weight, like, like what are good movements or lifts to incorporate in a workout or make a whole workout around, uh, that, that promote things like, uh, like hip strength and, you know, these things that start to get damaged as we age. Yeah. So it depends how old of a population we're doing, but in general, like these principles that I'll share right now will apply to anybody. So damn near any movement that you're going to perform in daily life, whether it's getting in and out of the car, whether it's you name it, picking up something from a cabinet above in your kitchen, a cup or whatever, picking up your kid and movement. If you basically break it down into its component parts, it's going to be either one or some combination of the seven movement patterns that I shared earlier, more or less. So I shared uh, bending, squatting, pushing, pulling, lunging, twisting, and gait, which is walking, jogging, or running. So at a fundamental level, as you age, irregardless of what training tool you choose to implement with it, whether it's a dumbbell, a barbell, body weight, maybe someone is like, you know, elderly and just getting them to get out of their wheelchair. That's a squatting pattern. Getting on the toilet is a squatting pattern. So if you don't have the range of motion and the control to do that movement, you are going to basically be deteriorating at a rapid level, right? So the level of regression or progression is going to need to be based on that individual so that they're continually adapting, but any program for function and just overall well-being and longevity should include those seven movement patterns like at a basic fundamental level, irregardless of what training tool you do. I do believe, like we talked about earlier, I think walking is the best. Honestly, I think it's the, the best exercise that anybody can do and walking without the cell phone. I love what you said, like looking at the birds, looking long distance, like giving your eyes a rest. Like we're in front of the computer right now. I spend so many hours a day in front of the computer, literally just turning to the side, looking out the window that I'm looking at right now and seeing mountains a few miles ahead of me is so resetting to the body and to the eyes. So I would say those seven movement patterns, I don't really care how you get it in. The most important thing is the way that you get it in has to be realistic and motivating to you. So hopefully it's a kettlebell for those who are interested, wants to give it a try, let me know. But, uh, and again, one of the reasons why I do love the kettlebell is because it tunes the nervous system and things like in the elderly population is as you get older, what's one of the first thing that goes it's balance, right? fall people like, so just doing movements, anything walking lunges is a great balancing exercise or a split squat. If you need to regress it or whatever it is, even walking involves your balance. So I would do things that train balance as well, especially if I wanted to move into my older years and do so safely and still stay functional. Yeah. And it's so funny. You mentioned that because uh, I have, uh, my, my wife's mom is living with us right now. She's this, uh, 70 year old Bulgarian woman. And you know, Ooh, she's, okay. she's right. Okay. Hey, don't get too turned on over there, buddy. Uh, no, no, I, <laughs> I just got excited because the Bulgarian pack, I, I love that tool. It's from Bulgaria. So I yeah. got a bunch of Bulgarian friends too. Of course you do. Uh, these dudes, like they got legs, like elephants, man. They're, uh, tree, tree trunk, yeah, legs, man. The Bulgarian squatters, um, <laughs> the split squat, by the way, that is, that is a hell of a movement, dude. That thing will crush you. Um, but, um, she's like, she, you know, she's where she lives. It's like, you know, feet of snow on the ground. She's not used to being, I'm in Puerto Rico. She's not used to being like in a nice place. And now she's like, 
going out and walking and she was walking the other day and she just saw somebody like in the park, like exercising, doing lunges. And she just was like, she just started doing like walking lunges. She's like, Oh, that looks like fun. And just starts doing that. And so I was thinking like, okay, like what are some more movements that I can like introduce to her uh, through Google translate, of course, because she doesn't understand English, uh, you know, and uh, what are some exercises that Google translate can introduce to my mother-in-law that she will find useful and could potentially help her longevity. And I think that um, that lunge is a, is a really cool thing. Um, and she just loves walking anyway. So those are some, um, those are some great tips for sure. If she's got also like hiking is such a good exercise. I mean, talk about taking, cause basically hiking <laughs> essentially is a repetitive lunging pattern, you know, when you're going to develop basically the other thing too, is like the benefits of lunging I'm for squatting. But if I were to say from longevity and, and what we're talking about, this conversation, single leg squatting is going to be way more functional than parallel squatting. Mm. So Bulgarian split squat, which for those who aren't familiar, it's basically like a rear elevated split squat. So you raise one leg, whether it's on a, like a chair or something behind you or on a bench, and you basically have to balance. And once again, if there's an imbalance between left and right side, it's going to show itself. So you can bring up weak points. You can train balance. It's very hard. You don't need, you can just do it with your body weight and it's tough as shit. You don't need to add much weight or weight at all to it or wear a backpack if you want to. But essentially what hiking is, it's a repetitive lunging pattern that you're doing through different terrains, your body and your feet have to adapt to the terrain. You're doing it outside. You're getting all the benefits that we talked about with walking. Uh, it's a strength endurance activity. So you're going to be able to maintain that level of fitness for longer periods. So if she has the ability, obviously in the snow might not be the smartest thing. Maybe she's got to wear some snowshoes, but if anybody has the ability to go for hiking and you want a greater challenge, just throw a backpack on, throw a weight mm -hmm. vest on. And I'll tell you and train your breathing. And when you do, breathe just nasally like with in your day uh in your conditioning workout i believe that damn near everybody should almost 100 be breathing in and out through the nose there's a time and place to switch to the mouth but if you want to talk about longevity respiratory so breathing is one of the highest things in the hierarchy system that is going to send someone into a state of overly sympathetic uh dominance is going to send them into a stress state is going to affect their mental state uh, it's gonna, it's, it's so, so crucial. So if she did hiking, breathing in and out through the nose, man, watch in one week, she's going to be like, there will be a noticeable improvement in her fitness and in her health. Wow. Can you talk some more about that? Cause you mentioned this earlier and I didn't, I didn't follow up with it. Um, but this idea of breathing, uh, in, I think you call it intentional breathing or, or, uh, breathing exercises or whatever it was, but like, I have heard, and maybe it was you, but it was on like another like podcast, somebody talking about this idea of, of controlled breath while working out and like how that is actually incredibly beneficial and just kind of laying it out there. Like for me, one of the biggest transformational uh, practices I've put in my life in the last 10 years were breathing exercises, whether it was alternate nostril breathing mm -hmm. or like this kind of crazy, like, um, it's not halotropic breathing, but kind of like, you know, box breathing type stuff, you know, kind of holding the breath and things like that. Um, and it's amazing for parasympathetic activation. It's amazing for mindset. It's, it's amazing for meditation, but, um, I, I would love to know more about using these kinds of breathings, especially no, uh, nostril breathing while you're working out and how you actually execute that. This is such a good question. So 
with breathing, like I just mentioned, it's one of the highest things on the hierarchy of sending someone into pain, dysfunction, dis-ease, right? So it, it's so powerful. And when you think about this, our mouth was not designed to breathe. Our nose was designed to breathe. There's no connection from the mouth to the brain, but the nose, the, 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 basically the sinus cavity runs basically damn near into the, like the middle of the skull. It's a huge cavity. There's so many connections to the brain. There's actually parasympathetic nerve endings that line the nose. And so every time you breathe in and out through the nose, you're exciting that branch of the nervous system, which is taking you into a calmer, a rest repair side of the nervous system. It's going to help you enter in a flow state, help your ability to critically think, help your ability to stay calm, especially in stressful situations. I work a lot with fighters and combat athletes. So getting them to breathe in and out through the nose, it opens up options. The fight game slows down. You're less reactive and more responsive. Your ability to listen to your coach's cues, everything gets heightened. The aperture widens and opens it up. So when you breathe in and out through the nose, it warms the air. It filters the air. Also, if you do things like breath holding, which we can talk about, which kind of simulates altitude training as well. I used to do a lot of altitude training in a dome with pulse oximeters, all that sort of stuff. You can get so much benefit from that type of stuff, just from incorporating intentional breath holds, which we can talk about if we got time. But basically when you breathe in and out through the nose, what's happening is you're, so there's also another misconception that the more air that we breathe, the more air that we can actually utilize. That's one of the biggest misconceptions. Just because I take in more air, let's just say I'm breathing in through my, my mouth and I go, right? That's one of the biggest cues when someone's gassed out is to breathe more air in. Mm. That is not how oxygen is released from hemoglobin into the cells. Actually, if you breathe less and lighter and you basically what we call increase your CO2 tolerance, your ability to actually release the oxygen into the cells and the tissues actually goes up. So anyone who's listening to this right now, just take a big breath in through your mouth and out. Now, when you're ready, switch to the nose. Go ahead and just inhale. Exhale. My question to you is, did you feel a difference in the amount of resistance to the air coming in through the mouth versus the nose? Which one was easier? I mean, it's definitely, definitely the nose breathing for sure. Well, the mouth is easier to bring air in. There's less resistance. The nose, actually, what's interesting is it's, it's definitely more effective from that perspective to actually get the oxygen in the cells. But there's about a two to three times resistance in the nose for the air traveling. And it's like harder to get mm. air into the actual nose than the mouth. And what that's happening is actually forcing you to breathe less and actually breathe lighter, which is actually the thing that actually increases oxygen uptake in the tissues into the cells. So when you're training, the best thing that you can do now, you don't have to do this. Uh, you can keep your mouth closed for sure. Uh, if you want to get a little crazy, you can tape your mouth, which is awesome. You just might look a little weird in the gym if you're doing that at a commercial gym. Uh, or something that's actually really fun, too, is just take a sip of water and hold the water in your mouth. If you hold the water, if you swallow it, you swallow it. Just take another sip. Just try not to spit it out on anybody. But if you just hold the water in your mouth, you'll be forced to breathe in and out through the nose. And it will take, there will need to be an adaptation phase. Because also if someone's been mouth breathing and so many of us, breathe in and out of our mouth when we don't realize it, especially when we sleep. And so the nose is not going to be used. It's the, 
the nose, you could think of it like a muscle, but it's erectile tissue. It's not actual like muscle tissue, but let's just for argument's sake, or hypothetically say it's a muscle. You have to train that muscle to stay open. What happens is most people are not used to breathing in through the nose. The nose isn't used to filtering that much crap from the air can get a little irritated and it can close down a little bit and your nose can start running. So just because in the beginning it might be harder, do not give up on it. I guarantee you, if you switch during the day, during your conditioning workouts and during like sleep in as little as one week, you will have noticeable changes to your performance and your health, like noticeable without a shadow of a doubt. Wow. And is there like a um, like a, uh, like a pace that you breathe at, or is it just kind of like, like, okay, let's say you're doing, let's say you're doing some kettlebell swings. You're doing like 20 kettlebell swings. Um, are you like you're breathing and you're holding the breath or are you breathing like a breath per rep or a breath every three reps or something? Like how exactly does that look? That's such a good dude. You, I love it. I love it. So, um, when I, I'll give you an example. When I was competing in kettlebell sport, which for those who aren't familiar, what you do in kettlebell sport, there's two main events, actually three, depending how you look at it. But basically we would lift two kettlebells. Uh, the professional division was double 32 kilos. So 72 pounds in each hand. And you would perform repetitive clean and jerk. So you would swing, bring them to the chest and then jerk them until the arms are fully locked out overhead. You had to repeat that movement without setting the bells down, could not touch the floor for 10 minutes. So basically you're taking, which is fucking brutal because your only rest period is at the chest or overhead. So in that type of sport, basically I didn't even, I mean, I did have a clock in front of me, so I did know like what my time was and even my reps, but I basically knew exactly how many reps per minute via my inhales and exhales. So I knew the type of quality of inhale, exhale, when I was in the rack position at chest level, if it was, for example, four rep, four breaths in the chest level and one breath overhead, that was eight reps a minute. And so for that, it's really important for things like kettlebell swings. What I would say is honestly, um, if you just close your mouth and just breathe in through the nose, that's by far the most important thing. Let the breath do what it needs to do. If it's a heavier weight or you're really trying to move really fast, then at the point in the backswing, when you're accelerating during that point to stabilize the spine, you're likely going to need to hold your breath for a moment because breath holding intra-abdominal pressure, the pressure in the belly, that's what stabilizes the spine in addition to the muscles, etc. So there will be a natural hold of breath because you don't just want to be super relaxed because again, the, the breath is not only important for health, but it stabilizes the spine. So there's going to be a natural breath hold, but if you're just breathing in through the nose and that's your focus, that takes care of so much. I wouldn't worry too much about a specific cadence. Wow. That's so powerful, man. I thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think so much about this, like, like, um, breathing, it, it makes such a difference. Um, and it's funny cause, uh, a podcast probably going to come out just before this one was with this guy talking about, um, binge eating and, you know, he was, he wrote this whole book and has this whole business based on like helping people to quit binge eating. And we talk so much about the breathing patterns of somebody mm. when they're binge eating. And I know this cause I've been there, mm. you know, especially, especially when I was a hardcore stoner and it'd be like, you know, <laughs> three in the morning and I would just be going to town on some ice cream and you don't even realize that you're not, when you're doing this, you're not breathing. 
you know, you're like, your, your mind is like somewhere else. And it's like, you're, you're almost panic breathing. Right. It's like, or when you, um, when you have like a panic attack or when you have anxiety really bad, or you start tensing up and you start thinking about things that really kind of mess with your mind, you start to catch yourself. You're like, as soon as you realize you're not breathing and then you go stop deep breath in, it's just crazy how all of that just changes your physiology, changes your mindset. I mean, if, if people understood the power of just taking a deep breath through your nose, especially in the middle of like a panic attack, anxiety medication would be gone. You know, we would put, you know, Zoloft and all these drugs out of business because I mean, it's, it's so powerful when you catch yourself that you're like, I'm breathing really fast. I'm breathing really shallow, really fast through my mouth. And then to think that you can now train that while you're in the gym training, it's like the carryover effect for that must be, I mean, just exponential. It's huge, man. Yeah. You, you nailed it on the head. Like anxiety is such an anxiety, depression. A lot of these things, sleep apnea. I mean, so many things can be completely reversed or at least noticeably improved just by focusing on the breath. And the three things that, that for the listeners to really keep in mind is you want, so nasal breathing for sure. Like that's without a shadow of a doubt. If you got anything from the podcast, breathe through the nose. <laughs> but when you breathe, you want to breathe low. So you want to breathe into the belly, which is going to allow you to actually activate the diaphragm, which is our major respiratory muscle. So someone could easily put their hand on their chest and on their belly. Maybe they performed this before. Basically you want the first two thirds of the breath to start with the bottom hand, the hand that's on the belly, the last one third can track up to the chest. So you want the breath to be low. The second thing that you want the breath to be is slow. Now I'll give everyone a really big tip, super simple. The inhalation is the uh, excitatory, the stimulating part of the breath. So if you wanted to wake up, you would take almost like, think like you could do it like hyperventilation or, um, uh, like pulse breathing. So you could just do whether it's in through the nose or in through the mouth. Well, let's just do the nose. It would be like, so that would excite and turn on the system, very fast breathing, even shorter breaths. But if you wanted to calm the system, basically the idea is to elongate the exhale, typically about 1.5 to two times the inhale. So practically said, if you took a three second inhale, you would want to exhale for approximately five seconds, five to six seconds. If you did that for anywhere from even just one minute, honestly, or if you're having a, if you're, something's coming up, it will automatically start down-regulating the nervous system and start reducing that anxiety. So just doing that will have tremendous benefits. It's like, the breath is the key. The breath is the anchor to so many damn near every experience that we have as human beings. Absolutely. Have you ever done uh, Kundalini yoga? I do. One of my good friends is a, uh, is a, uh, uh, Kundalini yoga and Tantra teacher. Um, so yeah, I'm a little familiar with it. Oh man. I, I tell you, like, I've only done it like a handful of times and uh, it blew my mind. Like it was <laughs> such an intense experience. Um, yeah, and then yeah. that's when I really discovered like, oh my God, dude, you can like really draw some borderline psychedelic experiences from just your breath work. It's, it's pretty insane. Dude, dude, the breath is so, so powerful. 
Um, so the way that I look at breath is, is typically from three areas. I look at it for breathing and breathing techniques to improve function. So that would be like your day-to-day stuff, uh, looking at it for, uh, improving sleep, reducing anxiety, that sort of stuff. There's a typical techniques that improve that that's going to be your nasal breathing, right? Then I look at it from a performance perspective. Then we're actually integrating it into our workouts. Um, We're also maybe introducing some types of breath hold to simulate altitude training to condition CO2 tolerance. But then there's this third area that I really look at it uh, from like a healing perspective. And whether it's Kundalini yoga, or I also teach something called um, somatic release breath work, which is actually thinking about like accessing trauma and releasing trauma through the breath. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. But like, I look at the, the breath, we just talked function performance and healing and all of it, there's all spillover and all those, but, uh, like what you're saying that Kundalini, that life force energy or somatic release breath work to express yourself with the aid of the breath, man, it is so powerful, so powerful. Yeah. And you know, sometimes like if, uh, if like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I can't fall back asleep, if I need to fall asleep, um, I find a four, seven, eight, like breathing mm-hmm. pattern actually works very well. I believe it was Dr. Andrew Weil who came up with this. Um, you know, it's like you, you breathe in for four, hold for seven, release for eight, and it will put you right to sleep. Dude, that's such a great technique, such a great technique. And look, I mean, that's basically, I mean, the breath hold is, is in there, but it's basically a two to one on the inhale exhale. Yeah. And like, if someone just did that, like it's, that's so powerful. That's very cool to hear that you're doing that, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I love, I, I could talk about breath work all day. It's so such an interesting topic, man. Actually, if, if somebody wanted to like work with you on that, do you have, uh, are you accessible to do that? So I am, and I, and I will start putting up some type of thing. If, if anyone goes to my site, Mike they'll go to the program. There's like a program tab where you can see what I offer. I'll have one for somatic release breath work sessions. A lot of the functional and the performance breathing I teach within my programs or I do typically in large groups. So, but the somatic release for like basically expressing stress that's been held in the body or accessing trauma and releasing that in a healthy way. I do it virtually and sometimes in person that will be up in the coming days. So someone can certainly check me out there and inquire about booking an appointment for that if they're interested. Yeah. And if it's coming out soon, by the time this comes out, that'll be, you you should have it up and I'll, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes and direct people there. That would be huge, man. I would super appreciate it. It's been, I've been getting more and more requests for it. So it's something that it is very, it's very deep work. Um, and so it's, it's not, you know, I don't want to say it's not necessary for everyone because I do think damn near anyone can benefit from it, but, uh, it's a very unique type of breath work. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I've been getting so many requests for it that I am going to offer it and just open up like maybe if two slots during the week where someone can book a session for that. Very cool, man. We are like kind of running up against time and I still have so many questions to ask you. We might have to do a part two on this sometime, but, um, just to kind of round things out, um, supplement wise and nutrition wise, you know, is there any kind of hard and fast things that you love anything that you don't love so much, um, specifically like supplements or nootropics or biohacks, um, anything that you're really into these days? You know, it's, it's like, you caught me at an interesting time. Cause like I would say in the last year, I had so many gut health issues growing up, fungal infections, parasites, H pylori, bacteria infection. And I was also taking every supplement under the sun when I was powerlifting that it really messed my gut up. So I went so long just 
not trusting the supplement industry at any level for so many years. And then slowly, obviously like opening up to it. So in recent years, one of my good friends runs a company called Symbiotica. His name is Shervin. Great dude. So I've, uh, I just know I have a direct connection with him. I see, I know exactly where they come from. The dude's amazing. And so I'll take some of their supplements. Um, so like magnesium theonate, I absolutely love. Um, some of the other things that I take from them is she legit, which has been great. I'll take their V B12, their vitamin D. And I'm trying to think of anything else. Sulforaphane I do like from time to time. Um, think that's it there they have a great adrenal one that like sometimes when i travel i'll take with me just in case i'm pretty stressed out um but that's basically it the magnesium theonate for me as like a cognitive thing mm-hmm. i noticed so well i've taken things like alpha brain and qualia and those have been really good but i'm so sensitive to be honest that like even if I, I think if I recall quality was depending on which one, I think it was like seven pills or something, yeah, yep. maybe five to seven. Even if I took one, I was like, Whoa, this is a lot. So I would like take one with food. So I'm pretty sensitive. Um, so even just like I'll take some coffee, you know, I love coffee. Uh, but symbiotica stuff is like the, the main supplement that I like. I super trust and have got some great results from. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I find like some of the smartest people like in this industry, you know, whether it's fitness or, you know, nutrition or whatever, um, their supplement regime is actually more simple than like the common persons, you know, even like some of the nootropics people I talked to when, you know, some of these guys were talking about like every nootropic under the sun, they're like, yeah, I only take like a couple of things, you know, because it's like, I, it's like, I tell people all the time, like, you realize you could walk into a GNC and you could buy one of everything because everything has a benefit. And if you take one of everything, you're right. Mathematically, you should just be living on a superhuman level. But what will probably happen is you'll probably vomit. You'll probably have a massive headache. You'll feel like shit. So clearly it's like you can, your body has like a rate limiting mechanism that doesn't let you accept more than a little bit of stuff. And if we're talking about supplementing, it's really supplementing what you're missing. And if you have like a good diet, good lifestyle in your case, like a good, you know, breathing and fitness routine, like you probably don't need a lot of stuff. And in fact, if you kind of take everything down, you might find one or two things that give you all the benefits you need that you can legitimately feel. Bro, I super, let me just come out and say it. I super appreciate your just mindset around supplementation because it's an area that I think can be therapeutic and can be beneficial. Um, and you don't really hear that from many people, especially in like the nootropic space. So like, I just want to like take a moment and like fucking celebrate you because that's really some very solid advice. Super solid. I mean, and all the other areas that we've talked about so much on this podcast, like you were saying, the fitness, the breathing and everything, like in my opinion, like those are really things that really develop life skills. Mm -hmm. Like if you're anxious and something, this shit, life happens in real time. (laughs) Like you get into an argument with a loved one, like you're heightened in that moment. And so like, I'm such a fan of like life skills and being mindful about these things and being intentional, like intentional fitness, intentional supplementation. And that's really what you're about. 
And I just love what you shared. And I really think that message really needs to get out because these things can be great, but just like the aura ring and everything can be absolutely life-changing. And is it a crutch? And is it trying to make up from just literally poor management lifestyle? It should be like that. In my opinion, it should be like that icing on the cake that elevates you as opposed to erasing, you know, just poor sleep every single night and going to sleep at 2 a.m. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like I, I'm in these nootropics groups, you know, I run some myself and people will throw like pictures of their supplements on, you know, (laughs) the internet. And there's legitimately like 45 things like I'm taking, this is my morning stack. This is my afternoon stack. This is my nighttime. And they're like, what do you think I'm missing? I'm like, dude, you ransacked the entire supplement selection at Costco. I don't think there's anything else you need, dude. You should, I I don't know what you think you're missing. I don't know. Maybe a walk, maybe some sunshine, you know, maybe, maybe a smile, maybe a hug. I don't know. There's every every substance you have, you were like, what could possibly be missing? And you know, what, what drives me crazy about the supplement industry, especially like there's some legitimately great people in this industry doing amazing things. And I understand if you're running a company, it's like, you got to have selection, right? But there are some people that will just give you the benefit of every single thing out there and make it seem like you need to have all this stuff. And, you know, you just, sometimes you got to just like, I know from the aura ring, my best nights of like good quality, deep sleep are actually the nights that I don't take any supplements in the morning. Wow. It's pretty wild. That's and I, super, that's wild. And that's, I really, that's I, really cool to hear. I, I really promote like the kind of pulsing everything. Like I go four days on three days off. Like I'll do four days of like, you know, anywhere between two to five supplements throughout the day. And then I'll have three days where I just take, I shouldn't say nothing because I'm still taking whey protein. I put stuff in my smoothies or whatever, but like no like pills or capsules or extra powders or anything like that. And those are the days it's like, if I don't have anything to drink or I don't do anything extraneous or I get like a decent amount of sleep, uh, if I'm not like stressed out about something, it's like, those will be the best days. My HRV will be the best. My heart rate will be lowest. Um, and then like my readiness will be the best. So, um, yeah, it's like, you just kind of feel like, where am I? What do I need? You don't have to have everything, you know, everyone's trying to make a buck in this industry, but really it's like, and like you said, you know, the guy who actually makes a supplement you take, most people don't have that advantage. So you really have to like, that's why I start the podcast with like, Hey, get my supplement guide because you don't want all this magnesium stearate or, you know, uh, what is it like zinc dioxide and all these, you know, yellow four, they put freaking canola oil in some of these supplements, you know, it's like, (laughs) why? Because they just, they, they need to like produce this stuff so quickly at such high scale. And you don't realize it's like, you're not absorbing any of that stuff, dude. You are stressing your body out way more by just taking that magnesium supplement than if you just like, didn't take anything at all. So, um, that's my supplement rant. It's, It's just, interesting being in the industry and seeing like the shenanigans and just knowing like, you know, Hey, just breathe, man. Sometimes you got to just breathe, you know, hundred percent feel you brother. Yeah. Well, Mike, this was so much fun, man. Like I said, I could, I could probably get this thing going another hour, but, uh, we both got (laughs) things to do, you know, um, tell people where they could catch you, where they could find you. You you threw your website down. Why don't you throw that, uh, website out one more time and any Instagram, Twitter, anywhere people can find you, work with you, contact you. Beautiful, man. So if anyone wants to uh, check out my site, it's mikesalemi.io. There's a programs tab where you can see some of the offerings if anybody's interested. Uh, If anybody's interested, especially on the kettlebell stuff, I've basically got two routes that you can check out. And I've set up a code for the listeners. Um, Got it written down right here. I think it was very simple. HNP. 
And for kettlebell lifestyle, that's a program that's basically a very methodical, slow approach, very in depth, and then combines working in with working out. You can access it anytime for beginners, even up to intermediate levels. Uh, if you use code HNP, you'll get 15% off kettlebell lifestyle. If you want a little bit more advanced, some coaching live with me each week, I teach a class called KBL live and you just use code HMP. You'll get your first month at 50% off. Um, and then Instagram. So Mike.Salemi, uh, you can check. I've dropped tons of tutorials, tons of content there. Um, also, if you just want to check out my YouTube channel, there's a ton of free videos there. You can also sign up on my website for my newsletter. You'll get hit up every time a new video drops and new content. So, uh, even if you're not ready or not interested, and get signing up with a program, no worries. Just check out a ton of the free content and you will be super set up on like getting started with a lot of the movements. And what's the website again for the, uh, for the kettlebell program? Uh, just go to Mike and basically you'll hit a tab that says kettlebell lifestyle. Or if you want to go directly to it, kettlebelllifestyle.com is the fixed program. And then kettlebelllifestyle.com slash live is the actual weekly training class that I teach. Awesome. Awesome. I will make sure people get linked to that. Go check you out. And um, man, so much great stuff here. I really hope people check you out because you're doing awesome things in the industry. And uh, let's face it, you work with Mike, you're going to get ripped. You're going to feel better. <laughs> Everything's going to work better. So uh, make sure you do that. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Listener, viewer, if you enjoyed what you watched and saw today, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, go follow Mike on all his socials, go follow Holistic Nootropics on Instagram and check out the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page if you're not already there. Otherwise, till next time, peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.